You're listening to another episode of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. And spring has officially sprung, at least in Florida, where the Cardinals kick off their 2021 campaign. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Chirps. This is, I guess, the first official spring training episode since we skipped out on you for a couple of weeks. Alex was out of town and I completely missed on the opportunity to bring another guest on the show or as I hinted at last week to do a solo podcast where I answered some of your questions. Unfortunately, while spring training starts, uh, of course, that means other things in life start picking up as well. So it got a little crazy for me last week, but I'm back with Alex once again. And Alex, there is some version of baseball on my TV right now. Are are we okay with calling this the beginning of the season? <laughs> sure. Why not? Uh, it, it- Real quick, is it the Cardinals? Are they playing right now? They are playing right now. I feel like it's my responsibility to know that, and I, <laughs> I clearly did not. In fairness, it's only the second game of the spring training schedule, and no one really knows what's happening at this point. So I believe there is a, an Adam Wainwright scheduled start, which is always funny to me the first time out in spring training, because really it just means an Adam Wainwright inning. <laughs> But, you know, I'll take what we can get. The fact that Adam Wainwright is about to step on the mound again for the Cardinals is a pretty cool thing, even if, you know, you're not the most sentimental of characters. But yes, the Cardinals and the Marlins, which seems like how spring training should start all the time, are uh, about to play some version of spring training baseball. And while it there's a long way to go before any of it matters, uh, it's still kind of nice to see some baseball happening especially after a season that had us kind of on the edge of our seat throughout in 2020, wondering if we were ever actually going to get to the end of it. Absolutely. Uh, I think I said to you online that I'm not going to complain about anyone enjoying spring training to as much as their heart desires. And hopefully I'll be able to enjoy some of it as well, because if we learned anything last year, it's that we probably shouldn't take this stuff for granted. It's not a guarantee that baseball is going to happen every year, um, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's looking at labor issues next year. So I am going to take off the curmudgeon hat, which I probably should have done a while ago, and just enjoy what we have. I there think that's you go. The lesson of last year. It it may have taken a pandemic to <laughs> accomplish that, but nonetheless, Alex is fully prepared to embrace the weirdness of spring training, which does include Matt Carpenter leading off and Harrison Bader batting second in the lineup today. We can talk more about that in a little bit, but. Alex, as much as we can talk about anything that means anything out of the first couple of spring training games, the big internet scuffle after the first game was about Jack Flaherty, as I imagine it will continue to be as we go along, unless he just, you know, never throws a bad pitch ever again. But are we worried about a less than spectacular first spring training inning plus from Jack Flaherty? I am not. And I'm not, not, I'm not worried at all based on that fact alone, meaning his spring training start, which I did not see. I did not watch it. I should, I should let that be known. I did. I read about it and I, what did he pay? He pitched like an inning. And at one point he allowed seven consecutive uh, batters to reach base, which, you know, no matter what level you're at, that's obviously not a good thing, but it's the first game of spring training. Who cares? Uh, If you want to be concerned about Jack Flaherty, you you'd be much better off hanging it on last year versus uh how many pitches did he even throw like, I think it was like, like 39 four, pitches yeah, yeah yeah 39 okay you you'd be much better off hanging it on on last year's season um and but but I can even give you if you want to look on the bright side why we don't necessarily have to freak out about last year either and if, if for a refresher last year he pitched about 40 innings Exactly. He had a 4.91 ERA. Um, his peripheral stats were a little better. He had a 4.11 FIP and a 3.42 XFIP. 
just out of curiosity, because we all remember in 2019 his breakout season when he just came out like a rocket after the All-Star break and had had one of the best second halves for a pitcher that we can really remember. So certainly right up there with what Jake Arrieta did in, what was that, 2015? I, I, I believe it was the 2015 yeah. season. You know, other great pitching seasons. But I was curious about how that season began because I also remember, you probably remember too, that he wasn't bad at the beginning of 2019 season, right. but he was nowhere like the way he finished, you know, he, he finished. That's, mm-hmm. that's why it made, you know, so much headlines because he was awesome. And it just kind of turned on right around the all-star break. And so I looked at his first, uh, what, what I believe were his like first couple starts, first eight starts, seven starts that put him right around 40 innings pitched. And that was from the beginning of season until May 8th, 2019 ERA. He threw 41 innings ERA 4.32 FIP 4.46, XFIP 3.78. So it wasn't that much different from what he did last year in 40 innings pitch. And that was without, you know, the misfortune of having to throw baseballs against a mattress for a couple (laughs) of weeks. And believe me, I'm not saying that because that's what he did in 2019. Then had we played a full season last year, then he would have done the exact same thing, turned it on and become the best pitcher in baseball again for three months. But it does, I think, harken back to the thing that we can always talk about when it comes to the comes to the 2020 season, which is don't trust the sample size that we were given yeah. on almost everything. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the the weirdness of 2020 for pitchers maybe was more and we talked about this a lot last summer even before you know the the summer camp thing and before jumping into games after that shortened kind of training camp environment we talked a lot about this is going to affect pitchers probably more than it's going to affect hitters simply because of the the irregularity of routine and of schedule and of preparation and of build up and all of those things and then to go into that after summer camp and then still be shut down yet again. And as you mentioned, throw against a mattress in a, a hotel in Milwaukee and then a hotel in St. Louis, uh, you know, wasn't all those it a things, haunted motel? A haunted, motel? Yeah, a yeah, haunted motel. Even yes. Worse. Uh, on top of all of those things, legend uh, came to, to play a little bit there in their extended stay in Milwaukee. Um, but it just, all of those things made it very difficult for me to look at any sort of hard analysis of the numbers of the 2020 season and make a decision one way or the other. I will say just, you know, from the, the, the eye test standpoint, yeah, Jack Flaherty struggled at times last year. Now, most of the struggle that ballooned those numbers a little bit came in like one or two starts but he wasn't the same guy that he was in the second half of 2019 and he knew that everyone else knew that he was trying to get to that point and had there been more time in the season I I do think he would have figured it out which is why like you I do think he'll figure it out this year and certainly not after one inning of the very first spring training game am I panicking about Jack Flaherty I think I was talking to Daniel Shopta on the gateway to baseball heaven podcast and i did say the one thing that concerns me a little bit and it's just the slightest concern is seeing the the intensity of jack flaherty and then recognizing how much pressure he's putting on himself to kind of live up to or exceed that 2019 second half version of himself i do worry a little bit not about the stuff but about how much pressure he puts on himself and that's just a a, an experience thing it's something that everyone at the elite level seems to go through because they expect so much of themselves and have to figure out how to balance that with not turning that expectation into unrealistic pressure that then, you know, is a negative effect. So I'm not worried about his stuff. I'm not worried about whether or not he can figure it out or if this is the real Jack Flaherty or anything crazy like that. I don't think it's a matter of him being distracted. I don't think it's about anything other than just it was the first time he's thrown against, you know, live hitters in a game situation in a while. And the last time he did that, it was at the end of a very bizarre 
summer of baseball that shouldn't be counted <laughs> for anything as far as analyzing players and their ability to be successful. So no, I'm not worried about Jack Flaherty. I think that he does put a lot of pressure on himself, but a lot of guys who end up being the best do that. They just have to figure out how to do that and not let it negatively impact the way an outing can snowball into something bad. And I think not to belabor the point, but I, I do think that's what we've seen at times with Jack Flaherty. When he struggles, it's not because uh, he's you know particularly wild or all over the place. It's that he lets two or three guys on base and then two or three turns into five or six or seven or eight because all of a sudden that out pitch goes away. Maybe he's trying to be too fine, trying to you know really spot a pitch and whatever that is, that's where he ends up throwing 39 pitches in an inning and he only gets through four and two thirds or whatever it is. That seems to be the bigger struggle than Jack Flaherty giving up nine runs in an inning. Like we see when some, you know, other guys struggle. So it's not particularly new to see him at the beginning of a season struggle to get that last out. I don't think it's something that we need to panic about much. Like I don't think there's many things we need to panic about after one spring training game. I would just say, like you said earlier, just enjoy it. Enjoy that there's baseball happening. Don't worry too much about those details right off the top of the spring training game schedule. Yeah, and I one I'm curious, did you did you watch the game and did he look did he look noticeably bad or and or and or did he look frustrated walking off the field or is it just like look, the spring training, we're all out here just, you know, messing around. Not messing around, but we're you know, we're rusty. We're, we're right. just trying to see what we have right now. I did not see the entirety of that. I saw bits and pieces. Uh, I know Angel Hernandez was behind the plate, which never helps when a pitcher is struggling. I have seen that there were at least a few calls that should have gone his way that would have been an out that turned into a walk or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, so those things don't help when a pitcher is struggling and, and can certainly contribute to the outing looking a lot worse than it probably was as far as his stuff is concerned. Uh, but no, I didn't see it from start to finish. I uh, wasn't wasn't home for most of that, which is, it's funny. We all get all excited about these spring training games and they're in the middle of the day when most people can't watch them. Uh, so I didn't get to see it, but I did hear his reaction. He was frustrated and just sort of reiterated, no, I was just bad. That's all that, that's all that happened. I was just bad today. Yeah. And I, I think the ownership of that is great, but I also that's what I'm talking about that that can turn into pressure that's uh, almost too far on the negative side of things if you know you can't reel it in at times and and use it as that motivator or the way to make those corrections like we've seen Adam Wainwright do time and time again so the the calls behind the plate are just as rusty <laughs> as the pitchers are perhaps at this stage of the game although I don't think I, Angel Hernandez is yeah there, there it is that's what I was gonna say <laughs> although you know, the, the, the obvious midseason form joke was teed right. up I, I yeah, think but. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, so no I was just gonna say yeah it sounds like absolutely nothing to worry about and if you are worried about Jack Flaherty based on that then I shudder to think how you feel about pitchers two through five, because, you know, there's a lot more issues going on there than with uh, the, our presumed number one guy. Yeah. Which is an interesting conversation. I'm sure one will continue to have throughout the spring, but Alex, how do you feel about this rotation? Because we also got news after that first game that Miles Michaelis was being pushed back from his scheduled first start as a precaution, which is never a good thing in the spring, especially a guy coming off of an injury um, season and, you know, choosing not to have Tommy John and all those things. So there's there's obvious concern, even if it's only slight at this point from the Miles Michaelis situation. You've got KK, you've got uh, Carlos Martinez, you have Adam Wainwright, who just picked up a very easy strikeout. Looks like he's throwing quite well in his first outing of the spring. Uh, but nonetheless, there's a lot of question marks there. And the Cardinals didn't go out and bring any new bodies new faces in to bolster that starting rotation which has the potential to be quite strong but it also has that same sort of mark that we've seen a couple of times recently where it could just as easily be very fragile yeah there's there a lot of ways this rotation can go uh you know i 
not thinking about it from a, a depth chart perspective, but you know, I think we would agree that Michaelis would be our number one guy. And then again, in no no particular order, you have Carlos Martinez, who uh, has not thrown more than 120 innings since 2017. You have Adam Wainwright, who is 39. Speaking of 39. That's how many total innings KK has thrown at this level. <laughs> and then you have Michaelis, which you said, which you just mentioned. He didn't pitch last year. I want to back up really quick because uh-huh. I think you said, you, you meant to say Jack Flaherty would be the number one. You said Michaelis. Oh, did I say Michaelis? So, yes, yes. No, absolutely. Jack Flaherty yeah, would be the no. number one, then, not, then down the chart. Yes. That's fine. I'm not doubling down on, I remember a long time <laughs> ago when we were heading into the playoffs 2019, I think it was you who asked um, who, who gets that start. Michaelis yes, or Flaherty, we did talk about and, that. and I said absolutely Michaelis. No, that was not a double down on that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, meant right, say, right. I meant to say Flaherty. Yes, thank you for correcting me. Yeah, and then and then yeah. So you have Carlos, Wayno, KK, and Michaelis, and I just listed off possible issues with those guys, and certainly Michaelis, who, as you mentioned, didn't pitch all of last year. He's coming off major surgery, so. I think it's exactly what you said. Like all of those guys give you reason to feel good. Carlos, we've seen what he is capable of. Wainwright was very good last year for a guy who is old. (laughs) KK, uh, I'm still excited about KK. I I don't know about you, but I especially that I I like a pitcher like KK when we have such a, a good infield defense and that's even without a pitcher like Colton Wong, um, and we know what Mike, what Michaelis is capable of, but it could still break bad and be a disaster. It really could. And are we done? I don't want to talk about him too long, because I also want to talk about uh, like you know potential people who are still unsigned that maybe the Cardinals could could use. But are we done assuming Alex Reyes is in the discussion? as a starter. And, and I don't ask that. I ask that seriously. I, cause I really don't know what, what are we, it seems like he's penciled into the bullpen, which, which makes sense because that's where he has thrived. I don't know if thrives the right word. That's where he's been used most recently, but it still seems like I don't want to give up on him yeah. on the idea of him being a starter. Is that where we're at? Cause I don't know if we're quite there yet, but it seems like we're getting close. I mean, yeah, the the Alex Reyes conversation is super interesting to me. I mean, it's no secret I've been a huge advocate of Alex Reyes, the starter, should he be able to stay healthy. And, you know, that's not you know, some wildly bold point to make, because I think anyone who's seen Alex Reyes as a starter in the minor leagues would say, man, this guy is the kind of pitcher you want going every five days though it has been hard to create that kind of momentum for him at the major league level for a variety of reasons, primarily because of the the consecutive injuries. And then when he has been able to come up and compete at the major league level, really all he's been able to do is work out of the bullpen. And as we saw last year, having a weapon like that out of the bullpen is incredibly valuable. Alex, I feel like we had this same conversation years ago about Carlos Martinez in terms of, is he more valuable in the bullpen or in the rotation? And part of that is determined by the actual success factor, right? Where are they most successful? But with Alex Reyes, there is that little bit of a caveat that we haven't actually seen him with a a real honest chance to be a rotation guy because of the injuries that have kept his, you know, kept him on some sort of pitch count or kept him from being built up enough to be a starter. And all of those things are still in play, really, right? Because he pitched in a shortened season last year out of the bullpen, did a great job of that, but was still very limited in the number of innings pitched. It feels like it would be hard to bump him up to that rotation uh, sort of workload. But at the same time, it's hard to not at least have that in the back of your mind, knowing the kind of pitches he's capable of throwing. And if he can do that with any sort of consistency and maybe build up to that, then no, I don't think we're past the point of thinking about Alex Reyes, the starter. I think we may be past the point of expecting Alex Reyes to be a starter, but 
there is that lingering idea of his stuff is good enough to be that complimentary piece to a Jack Flaherty. And then if you add a Carlos Martinez into that mix in the rotation, you know, there's, there's some power there in that rotation all of a sudden that takes away some of those concerns about weaknesses except that all of this is still very theoretical with Alex Reyes and even with Carlos Martinez. And I want to be careful in saying that because we have seen Carlos Martinez be very successful as a starter. People forget that. People assume he's been injured all these years. That's not actually the reality of the Carlos Martinez story, which maybe we can talk about in another episode. But getting him back to that level of success has been a struggle because of management of an injury. But it wasn't as if he was injury riddled in the same way that Alex Reyes has been. And the the conversation has been similar with the two of them in that, okay, there's probably more value based on their stuff if you can use it in the rotation, but their ability to be consistent with their success at the major league level has been more of a probability uh, out of the bullpen. So the question is very similar, but the the high ceiling is also very similar, which makes it hard to write that off entirely, at least for me. I agree. And you know what blows me away? Carlos Martinez is t- only 29 years old. Yeah. I feel like he is close to the same age as Matt Carpenter, just because it seems like they've been around for almost the same amount of time, although that's it's not entirely true. Obviously, Carpenter had a cup of coffee with the 2011 team, but he is only 29, and and he really just turned 29. He turned 29, I think, like in September or October. So this is his age 29 season, and it feels like he's been around forever. And I also want to point out, just because I remind myself of this, he was drafted not as a pitcher, <laughs> He was a shortstop, I believe, when he was drafted. And not that that transition doesn't happen quite regularly this uh, anymore because, you know, organizations will see somebody that pitched it at times in his life but was more of a position player but has a better arm than they think they can develop it. It's not like that's unusual. But the idea that, well, how is Carlos Martinez not better than this? (laughs) Uh, It just kind of blows my mind because – First of all, he's incredibly good. We've seen him be incredibly good. The The season prior to where he did, in fact, have the injury that took him out for a season and a half, effectively, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball at that stage of the season. And I talked to people from that cover other teams, and every one of them was like, how how does he do this? Because he's one of the most exciting pitchers in the game. And that was after, I believe, two relatively successful seasons in the rotation that kind of got us to that point of thinking, okay, maybe Carlos Martinez can be the ace of this staff. So the idea that he went from a, a, a pretty good shortstop to a guy with a phenomenal arm that needed a lot of development to someone that stepped in and was successful both out of the bullpen and in the rotation and then somehow got this bad rap for a bunch of reasons we can you know talk about or not and has yes at times had those inconsistencies that are really frustrating but to just you know kind of write him off as oh he's always injured is really not accurate and oh he's he should be better uh (laughs) by now well he's (laughs) Like you said, still relatively young and still learning a lot of those things about being a starter because that's something that he was kind of learning on the fly as he was developed by the the Cardinals organization. So an interesting story that really has um, only very little to do with the whole Alex Reyes conversation, but there are some parallels for sure. He's a tremendous athlete, bottom line. I always think about, I think maybe my favorite Carlos Martinez play, but believe me, there's no shame if you don't remember this because it wasn't in the grand scheme. It didn't matter all that much, but in the 2015 season, which was kind of his first year as, as a, as, as a primary starter, he had this play against Milwaukee in Milwaukee where I think it was like a, I don't think it was a bunt. I think it was just kind of like a dribbler down the line, third baseline. And do you remember this play when he's just I know like, exactly what yeah, you're talking about. He's just like <laughs> falling 
in the fair ter- in the foul territory and just like without even really looking at first base, just whips the ball over there. And Mark Reynolds does a great stretch. Remember Mark Reynolds? Yeah. <laughs> this yep. is the Mark Reynolds era of the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, makes a great stretch at first. And and they just get the runner. And I'm just like, I don't know. There's no other pitcher that the Cardinals had at that time or have had, I believe, in, in recent memory, who could pull off that play. And maybe Jack Flaherty, I don't know. But bottom line, yeah, he's he's an amazing athlete. And it just blows my mind that he's only a couple years older than, like, Andrew Kisner. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and, and speaking of which, um, Alex Reyes is 26. Does that seem old does that seem young or does that seem about right because i can't figure it out i get which i guess it means it seems about right that's interesting i I think i think it's because we've heard about alex reyes for so long that it seems like wow he's been around for forever Uh but we also haven't seen much of alex reyes at the major league level so it feels like he just got here (laughs) so there's a a strange dynamic there for sure I, i also think For the promise that Alex Reyes was to lose, what, like two full seasons to injury, it makes it feel a little bit like he's uh, he's older than he should be at this stage of his career because you've got those two years where, where there was no development happening. There was no experience being gained. And so it feels like he, he should be at a different point in his career than he is at 26 because of all the promise that he had, because of all the years of the buildup of Alex Reyes is going to be, you know, the next best thing. And then not really getting a chance to see that. So I completely understand that, that sort of confusion about what is, (laughs) What, what do we do with a 26-year-old Alex Reyes? Is that right on schedule or, or is he uh, does it seem like he's you know he, he, that's older than he should be at this point? And I, to me, it's because of those lost seasons in the middle there where you know they would have been kind of prime uh, showcase years of what he's capable of as well as continuing that development and that was all interrupted. So I do think that a 26-year-old Alex Reyes at this point talking about, oh, can he break the rotation or not, feels like we shouldn't still be talking about this with him. But at the same time, we haven't seen him with that chance, really. So it kind of feels just as new and just as intriguing as it would have two or three years ago. Yeah, and it seems like a question worth discussing when you have the the rotation that the Cardinals have at the moment, which yeah. is that, you know, there, there are some people who I think are vulnerable to whether it's just bad performance, whether it's injuries that, you know, we might want to have Alex Reyes in the rotation. We might want, you know, we might want to have that flexibility of having him. So yeah, I was just curious if that was even something we were still discussing. Yeah, no, I think it is. And I, I do think there's sort of, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, there does seem to be sort of a, a point of no return where you just got to pick. You got to decide what their their best value is, what their greatest probability of success is. I think that John Gant is another one, mostly because he's made... Uh, made statements already this spring talking about how he'd like a shot at the rotation again. And I think for most of us, it felt like that ship had sort of sailed for John Gant, but Uh not for him. So I think those guys who have come up in the game as starters and then sort of were worked into a bullpen role out of necessity uh, or because of, you know, the opportunity for playing time, they always kind of hold on to that and always think that if they just get the chance, they can be the, the guy that makes the rotation. Uh, but I do think at some point there is a point of no return where you're just not going to build up the same. You're not going to have the same success level, success rate, I should say. I don't know if Alex Reyes is at that point simply because we haven't seen him enough in consecutive se- seasons to really get a feel for that. But I, I think it's absolutely a, a valid conversation to be having, especially when you look at some of the weaknesses or the potential weaknesses in the rotation and the fact that the Cardinals did not go out and bring anybody else in. Yeah, I agree. Would you still like to see the Cardinals bring someone else in at this stage of the game to sort of fortify that? Their hand might be forced a bit if there's a problem with Miles Michaelis. It's more than just precautionary. But they are notorious for liking their guys and bringing someone up like a Ponce de Leon or, or something like that to fill in that spot. But would you feel more comfortable if they added a, a more 
notable or reliable arm to the mix? Would say someone like Jake Odorisi be, be um, someone we could be talking about? That here? I would okay. be, I would certainly be still I'm still I guess intrigued by that possibility. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, you know I, I I believe you can never have. It's hard to have too much starting pitching, uh, especially with a rotation that you're not 100% sure of. Uh, he, as recently as two seasons ago, was an excellent, excellent pitcher. I, you know, he had injury problems last year, uh, which I, I believe he was with the Twins for the, uh, I, I think he took the qualifying offer from the Twins, if I recall, and then got hurt and only pitched a couple innings. He's what? He's like 31. What I read in the Athletic a couple days ago is that he's looking for a three-year deal around you know forty some million, which seems pretty reasonable to me for a pitcher of his caliber. So yes, I, I think I think he would be a great fit for the Cardinals. He's he's uh, I read recently that he grew up as a you know he's he's uh-huh. from the area. He's basically yeah. from Metro East in Illinois, from Highland, Illinois. He grew up a Cardinals fan. Uh, why not? <laughs> I love Cardinals fans. Let's let's bring them on, I say. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it would be nice. I think he's the kind of guy that would profile well with what the Cardinals have tended to do. Um, and maybe it would give that little added security to the rotation. I don't know that I expect that. I think that they're, <laughs> as much as they made the splash with Arenado, which is great, that's wonderful. I'm happy to see him wearing a Cardinals jersey today. I don't know that they're going to stretch that far to say actually we don't really trust what we have in our organization so we're going to go out and bring something else in but i i do think it would probably be wise i think that there is room for that in the rotation and then you can make what has the potential to be a strong bullpen even stronger or have some of those guys continue to stretch out assuming a minor league season does in fact take place in in some Uh, capacity, then you would have those arms ready to go instead of just stashing them all in the bullpen and then not having anyone built up enough to jump in and start if necessary. So yeah, I do think that it would be a good idea. I think a lot of people would feel a little more comfortable with that, although it may be a false sense of security because pitchers are quite fickle in terms of how much they can replicate success or avoid injury. So who knows if that would be the, the missing piece to the Cardinals rotation at this point. Alex, I do want to kind of wrap up today with a question you asked me because I think it's really interesting in terms of, you know, we're talking about this as normally and as kind of without COVID conversation as possible because that's sort of how Major League Baseball is handling baseball right now, spring training. There are protocols in place. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. There are restrictions. There are uh, requirements. There are penalties for, um, you know, not following those protocols. But there are also fans in the stands. And yes, there are rules and regulations for them as well. But there is this sort of pressing feeling of getting baseball back to normal as quickly as possible. And your question to me was uh, along the lines of, did the NFL basically set the the tone for how to handle sports in the remainder of this COVID epidemic basically by just doing it anyway? (laughs) (laughs) And um, as weird as it sounds and as much as I can personally say, I don't think that would have been my move. I think you're probably right because I don't know. I can only speak for myself, but when the NFL started their season and had just a breakout after breakout with COVID and games mm-hmm. postponed and moved and rescheduled and shuffled and whatever, I, I genuinely thought there was no way they were going to be able to complete a season. And they kind of just plowed through it. <laughs> and said, Oh yeah, uh, you know, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as much as that kind of, irks me in the sense of maybe that shouldn't have been the priority. I do think the fact that they did it, the fact that they completed the season, the fact that, um, you know, there wasn't a, a major incident that made them, that forced them to shut down is probably setting some sort of precedent for other sports to be able to look at things and go, okay, 
like we can handle the risk for the benefit of getting a season completed. And, you know, it's the same balancing act that we watched baseball try to figure out last spring in terms of is the reward worth the, is the reward worth the risk and the NFL basically was just like yup sure is <laughs> and uh, I can't imagine other sports with the same kinds of priorities not doing the same thing I agree I, I think other leagues were definitely watching how the NFL handled it and I think other things to consider is the fact that leagues certainly don't want to miss out on profits two years in a row. Right. There's that. There's the fact that the vaccine is out there. Uh, however well it's being rolled out is, you know, and is, is up for debate. But, but people are being vaccinated. So we, we have turned a corner that we weren't at at least at, you know, obviously last summer or, or certainly when the pandemic first broke. There's also the fact that the baseball has the luxury of playing a lot of its season during the summer months. And, you know, if you remember last summer, it, I don't want to say the country certainly didn't open back up, but, and maybe this was just stupidity on everyone's part, but there was a time where people started kind of, reverting back to normal and it wasn't until october november hit where like oh my when the numbers started spiking again when people like oh my gosh like you know we 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 everyone needs to be really careful here you know we should have been being careful the entire time but this is another reminder that we're we are not out of the woods here yet but my point is that the summer and if if what i say is completely wrong with the science and someone please call me out because I'm not qualified to, to, to discuss this too intelligently, but it does seem like the numbers do take a dip in the, in the warmer months, in the summer months, right? So baseball yeah. has that to its advantage as well. I certainly hope that they can play 162 games and I in th- playing 162 games is a lot harder than playing 16 games even right. when you yeah. have a sport like baseball, that's not quite as, you know, person to person, you know, touching and exposure like football is. But I think, again, I think the other leagues were watching NFL and being like, yeah, you, if you try hard enough, you can, you can get a full season in. And so I think baseball is going to really try to do that. And, you know, if I hope they can. I hope we start to see, you know, this is again with, we've both given this caveat a million of times, millions of times by now that, you know, obviously we're hoping when we say these things, we're, we're stipulating that everything is safe, but I hope that we do start to see a decent amount of fans in the stands and that somehow they're able to pull that off safely and that we can finally start to have baseball look, you know, normal again and not have to have a World Series immediately be soured, immediately be soured within 30 seconds because there's a guy with COVID running around hugging people on the field. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so to get to your question, is like, yeah, I do think the NFL kind of sets a template here and that the other leagues will feel like suckers if they don't follow it, if they don't get a full season in like the NFL just did. And the yeah. NFL has been the only league to, to really have a normal season in the middle of all of this. Yeah, and so, it's, it's true. And, and they really didn't see it didn't. And they did that without at least, from my perspective, having like a grand plan or anything. Yeah. It's, it's not it's, it's not like they were. In, in fact, at times it was like, how are you this ill prepared when you had the most time to prepare for of all the sports mm. leagues? But what they did is they're just like, look, we are going to get these games in no matter what. We'll just figure it out. And yeah, at times they're going to have a team like the Broncos playing without a quarterback, and so be it. We don't care. We just have to get to the, we just have to crown a Super Bowl champion on the date when we normally crown a Super Bowl champion, and we'll all be happy. <laughs> yeah, it is wild. It's wild that you know, as much as it seems like, well, you should have had a better plan. I can almost see. Maybe this is me trying too hard, but I can almost see where the idea of let's just see what happens and adjust from there 
was maybe a more effective strategy than uh-huh. trying to have some sort of concrete plan for something that had so much uncertainty and so much uh, change over the course of a number of gosh days sometimes much less weeks or months that it it, it almost was <laughs> i can almost see the advantage of okay we're not well, going to decide what this is going to look like 2 months from now we're going to decide what to do with games this week no you're totally right because they didn't box themselves in Right. And then it wasn't as much a matter of, oh, well, they're breaking their own protocols. It was no one knew what they were supposed to do, which again, I'm not necessarily defending that in terms of was that the safest route? But I can see how it allowed them to make those changes and to adjust on the fly a bit more effectively or a bit more easily in terms of their main goal, which was to complete the season as scheduled. than if you try to figure out the entirety of the season ahead of time and not veer away from that. We saw baseball have to do that same thing after the two outbreaks with Miami and St. Louis last year. They had to adjust. They had to adapt. They had to reschedule and and figure out what that looked like on the fly after they thought they had a plan in place. And granted, there were a lot of us from the outside going, you know, this isn't going to work, right? (laughs) But nonetheless, Um, they did have to adapt and change the plan that everyone thought they were comfortable with as they went along. So, you know, it's, it's an ongoing conversation. It's one that I know you and I have both at times been hesitant to even talk about because we certainly don't want to say something that is inaccurate or misleading or, you know, something that is, not beneficial to the overall conversation, but I do think that it's it's totally fair to simultaneously want people to be safe and responsible and also want baseball back as normal as possible, as quick as possible. And that's sort of the dynamic that there is right now with baseball kind of taking the NFL uh, model and saying, well, we're just going to do it and see what happens. <laughs> And, you know, kind of for better or worse, that's what we're, we're looking at right now. No, I totally agree. When, when baseball finally got started last year, which was that July, I, I felt so hungover by the whole process by that standpoint that I wasn't nearly as, I was like, I, I, I was like a tenth of as, as excited as I normally am for a baseball yeah. season to start. I don't feel that way this year. I, I am ready for this and I'm excited for this. And, and again, Obviously, what you just said, I feel as though I can feel that way and still want it to be done responsibly and correctly. But yeah, I, I am, I'm very, very excited for, for baseball. And I, I, I really want it to work is what I'm saying, because yeah. I feel like we need this. Yeah, it, it's true. It's, it's something that so many people have not been able to enjoy in the same way. And, you know, at times in the last year, I think it's allowed us all to kind of reassess uh, our priorities <laughs> in life but also you know it's it's something that if there's a way to enjoy it without the added pressure of always being so uh concerned or so worried or so fearful then i think we're all ready to get to that point and be able to enjoy it um and enjoy the the social aspect of it again right not just sitting at home by ourselves and watching baseball but enjoying the the social element of being a baseball fan and and having that in common with other baseball fans. And um, yeah, I, I'm hopeful that we'll get there. I'm hopeful that the uh, the addition of vaccines to the mix is something that continues to make life more safe for people. And that by, you know, the end of the the spring, hopefully we're, we're a little less concerned. And by the end of the summer, we can all be enjoying baseball in some sort of live version again, even if there are still some, you know, limitations or or protocols in place for that. So I think it's all part of the conversation. It's hard to talk about it and not get anyone sort of heated because there are so many opinions, but uh, you know, that's not particularly unusual or uh, unfamiliar to talking about baseball. So I guess we're kind of par for the course as far as that goes. I'm sure one thing that we'll talk about as we go on, we don't really have time to get to it today, but is the Matt Carpenter scenario in St. Louis. He's currently playing second base in this spring training game. 
I would love to have a conversation with you maybe next week about Matt Carpenter's role with this team in 2021. But Alex, I think for now, we're going to wrap that part of it up and uh, leave the the rest of the show to you. Okay, uh, let's do the chirp of the week. So every year, my sister-in-law for Christmas gives me the St. Louis Cardinals official calendar. Are you familiar with this? Yes. calendar yeah so, so you get all those coupons too that i cannot use because i don't live anywhere near <laughs> the st louis area like i have i have ten dollars off at dobbs tire auto center nice. right right here i see let's see what else do i have um uh, all sorts of uh rottler pest solutions if anyone needs uh if anyone needs these coupons let me know i will send them <laughs> if you are in the st louis area anyway but so this one this year's edition was really good i had a lot of great photos in it and I, I was just flipping through it today and I was looking at November. So November, 2021. And it's this wonderful photo of downtown St. Louis. I wish I knew what street it was and perhaps someone who lives in St. Louis would be able to tell me this. Um, but it's a photo right after the Cardinals won the World Series, their first World Series in 1926. And it's kind of like the parade slash party on the streets. You know, it's it's a great old timey photo where every man has on a fedora and every boy has on like one of those newsies type of mm-hmm. <laughs> type hats. Like there's literally not a single person. I'm looking at hundreds of hundreds of people in this photo right now. And there's not a single person who does not have some sort of hat on. It's really cool. And it's again, it's a celebration right after the Cardinals won the first with their first world series in 1926. But that's not quite what this trip of the week's about. There's a little bit more, uh, there's a little kind of caption by the picture and it has two sentences uh, and both contain a fact that kind of caught me by surprise. Uh, The first sentence says, at a time when St. Louis was the sixth largest city in the United States, an estimated 1 million people flooded the downtown area to welcome home the Cardinals on October 11th, 1926 after their first ever world series championship a seven-game triumph over the mighty New York Yankees. So that first sentence, what caught me off guard, St. Louis used to be the sixth largest city in the United States. At the time in 1926, it was only behind New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit, and Cleveland. And St. Louis had about 800,000 people. And I guess I sort of knew that because, you know, St. Louis used to have the World's Fair back then, had the World's Fair, Mm -hmm. you know, like right around the turn of the century. And that was a huge deal. You know, they weren't, they weren't just handing out world's fairs to like, uh, you know, Peoria, you know, that you, you had to be a major city to get a world's fair is what I'm saying. Uh, but I do forget that St. Louis used to be such a major city. So I was just browsing and around online and they were ranked in the top 10 in population. Uh, I know that's why people tune into this. They want to hear about, uh, you know, population of St. Louis in history and stuff like that, but it was ranked in the top 10, in the United States until 1960 when it dropped out. And uh, now they have about 300,000 people in city limits and it's ranked, what what did I see? 65, Tara. It's only Mm. 65th largest city in the United Mm. States. Now the metro area, much larger, 20th overall. Um, You know, white flight, a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on there that we could discuss on a later episode. Although probably leave that for people who are more, more uh know more about this stuff than i do the second sentence in that caption says this of the 16 major league franchises in existence when the world series originated in 1903 the cardinals and the st louis browns were the last clubs to reach the fall classic and the browns didn't do it until 1944 when they lost to the cardinals i didn't know that I didn't realize that the Cardinals of the, you know, kind of the original 16 teams were one of the last teams to reach the uh, World Series. Although I should have known that because I did know that, you know, from 1900 till, you know, 1920, the Cardinals were not very good. Uh, And so there were lots of, you know, they're getting their butts kicked. Uh, If you ever wondered why the Cubs actually have an all-time winning record against the Cardinals head-to-head, it's strictly because of the years 1900 through 1920. (laughs) Um, Take it from that year on and, you know, and we're whipping their butts as we should. But yeah, the Cardinals were one of the last teams of the original 
I don't think we say original 16 or whatever you want to say, but of those 16 teams that were kind of in existence at the turn of the century, they were basically one of the last ones to make the World Series. Since they waited till 1926, though, they pretty much got moving after that because, you know, the Cardinals starting in 1926 have won 19 pennants, which equals that, you know, that was what, 95 years ago. So that equals out to about a pennant every five years. So they made up for a lot of time. You know, they, they made up for, you know, a lot of missed, missed years from 1900, 1920 and all the years since. So that's good. And I'm going to send you that photo, Tara, right now, if you awesome. want to yeah. look at it. I do. I love those old timey photos, yeah, if, uh, especially when they're relevant to my other interests. <laughs> I just sent it to you. If you can find a single person in this photo without a hat on, uh, I'll be shocked. But I would also like Impressive. to know what that street is. There is a you see that building on the right it says Union going down. There's a word above it. And there's and by that flag, which I counted has 48 stars. So that would <laughs> certainly make sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at this crowd. That is a wonderful, wonderful... Wow, so many hats. Yeah, lots and lots <laughs> of hats. But that is your awesome. trip of the week, uh, a pointless stat about St. Louis's population. Uh, once mighty population and its, I guess, sad population decline. And also the fact that the Cardinals were one of the last teams of the, of the teams that were in existence for a very long time. To not, They were one of the last teams to make the World Series... But we'll forgive them for that because they have made a lot of World Series since then. And they've even won a couple of them. So I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take this version it. of the Cardinals. I like them making up for lost time. So mm-hmm. maybe they can make up for all the time that all of us lost in mm-hmm. 2020. And, uh, you know, just go out and win another one. That'd be fun. Agree. <laughs> I, I think we're about due, right? Every five years. I think so. You know, yeah, they're they're overdue. To, you know. It's about time. Yeah. It's about time to uh, you know not fall back into the 1900s era Cardinals and, and make us all watch that. So uh, I think it's time. I think it's, it's, the, it's the year to go out and win another one. That is where we will wrap this one up, though, for today. And we will go back to watching the version of baseball that we can enjoy during the spring without caring too much about the stats. And hopefully we'll have even more to talk about next week as we learn a little bit more about who the 2021 Cardinals are going to be. So I hope you are all enjoying the baseball that you're watching. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Make sure you continue to listen to the other stuff going on under the Birds on the Black podcast umbrella. Of course, conversations with Saruti and uh, what Kyle puts out when he does pad and whatever else ends up (laughs) popping up on that channel. There's plenty of content to keep you busy as you go throughout the spring. And we will be part of that once again for you next week. So for Alex, I'm Tara. We'll talk to you then.